of In at the Side. I'm Dom Harbin. I'm joined by JK and Sonara Nil, and the man who does this. joined by on-screen star and rugby star Danny Lingari. How are you tonight, Danny? Very well, thank you, considering what we've all got to put up with. Yeah. Good, good. What have you, uh, you been filling your time with then? What's been keeping you busy? Um, trying to make sure that the charity that we set up two years ago um, is still a, keeps afloat during these times. And uh, lots of writing for uh, certain TV series and uh, show. Excellent. Are there any Perfect. positions or, or roles for any like you know shaved head rugby players with like beards? Oh, yes, not not for a face like yours, Neil. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, many, I was going to uh... say that. The, That's yeah, why. Let's pop a radio. Couple of terrorist uh, looks you could probably fill in. <laughs> I could do terrorist. I could do terrorist very well. I don't think we. So, so, so uh, is there any projects uh, that you can tell us about? What's what what you got yourself into at the moment? I know you've done the uh, the old documentary with uh, regards to your dad, but is there any? What's, what's yeah, so up? we're in the middle, um, and we were pitched, asked to pitch to a certain global TV online T Sky company for seven episodes. This is how nervous it is. Wow. Um, and then they said, we want two seasons out of you for what you've written about the <clears> stories <throat> about the SAS. And we were like, right. And then they dropped the biggest bomb of all and said it was worth 100 grand an episode to me for the writer. <laughs> Wow. Uh, you, uh, you fancy sponsoring the Dodgers next season? <laughs> hey, I've stayed away from sevens. Trust me, I've stayed away. Not from anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Danny, you, you yeah. mentioned Danny. I was to say, before we get off the subject completely, what's the name of your charity and what, what is it for? Okay, so two years ago, um, I was in Europe with Luxembourg in, in the Bundesliga side, and we were sat there working out how we could increase the number of 18-year-old kids to play rugby. And Luxembourg, richest country and city in Europe, had, was struggling for, struggling for numbers because yeah. they have to play in the Belgian leagues or the German leagues. So what we looked at was the fact of bringing some children over from Fiji. And they all went, let's get down to get some kids over. And I thought, well, would this be cheating? But what we did is we brought four young boys under 18s from the toughest slums in Fiji. But as you can probably guess, they can play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and they've never been on. They've never been on a plane. Even had passports, visas. Yeah, <clears throat> we got them on British Airways, and British Airways even let them sit in the cockpit at the end because the boys got really nervous as they saw a woman come out of a cabin who was the pilot. <laughs> um, and they arrived, and three days later, I sort of was like, we've got to give this a name. And Fiji, Kenya and South Africa all play competitive rugby up to the age of 14 barefoot. Doesn't matter if you've got boots or not, you were, if you got it the barefoot project, it was not a charity. <clears throat> it was all about raising boots. No money would cross to change hands or anything. It was about the boots and to give kids an equal playing field to play on. And uh, within two weeks of them arriving, we went and, <laughs> Sounds like we went shopping here. We only got two boys from the Nairobi slum, the biggest slum in Kenya, yeah. and brought them over. And so we had two Kenyans and four Fijians and put them in the under 18s team to run around and play rugby in the German and Belgium leagues. And yeah. that's how Barefoot started. We had them over for three months, but they all went back with a second or well, third language, mm -hmm. as well as English, uh, French, and German opposite. And they went back with education and two Kenyans ended up being qualified by World Rugby for refereeing. So they at least have wow. a job when they get wow. back. Um, and that's what I did. And that's what I did. And that's how Barefoot started two years ago. Amazing. Yeah, definitely changed. Uh, so 
definitely changing some lives um, in those areas where, yes, predominantly playing rugby at a good standard. So Fijians very well known for their rugby, especially in the seven circuit. Yeah, but they don't. The, in seven they're, circuit, they're, they're touch. Their yeah, touch is full contact. Exactly. It's, exactly. It's, so bringing them over, you've definitely opened their eyes into a whole new scenario. Not not just not just a new lease of life, but some new... But species. it was cool runnings, gents. Yeah. It was cool runnings. It was like cool runnings. <laughs> they arrived to lucky egg. the snow. <laughs> yeah. they, they, and oh, yeah. the, what was funny was we put a shout out to uh, members to come and clear the pitches. And Luxembourg's pitch is a 4G without the rubber crumb. Oh. So it's oh, mint. Nasty. It's mint. All right, so these boys come over. We can't play rugby. And do you know what? Out of all the couple of kids from the club, typical, and all the Fijians and the Kenyans cleared the snow. They were jumping around in the snow. They'd never <laughs> seen snow before. So they were clearing it and laughing and giggling. But it was cool runnings. I mean, they could have put suitcases on and just sat in their suitcase. <laughs> uh, we have a photograph of them all like this going... Amazing. And, 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 it, and it was, it was life-changing, not just them, but for the people in Luxembourg and myself. Amazing. So obviously, uh, moving forward through um, your humble careers, you've been uh, involved in many different sports. The F word, we won't go anywhere near, but obviously basketball, rugby league and rugby union. Yeah, it's... Talk us how you, how you got into that from a young age, obviously. Uh, okay, so you, you, you look at what's going on in the world now. Yeah, and, and the, the, that level playing field, there wasn't that. I wasn't a state, I was a state school boy. Mm -hmm. I was a, a high school decathlete. As you can probably tell by my size, the 1500 meters was not my event. <laughs> I made sure I got the points on everything else. But I wasn't great at rugby, I wasn't from rugby stock. And I played for Worcester for many years, played for various regional teams and invitational sides similar to the Bar Bars, where all the best players from the Midlands played together. That included the likes of Mosley and Coventry back those days. They were just Division One clubs. Um, and I was always giving it to that kid on the wing and let him run. But the thing is, very much like me now at Sevens, I was running sideways before I even ran forwards, looking for a spot. And oh, one wow. stage, the, the whole team just stood and watched me hand off, they say, jokingly, virtually everybody on the team before I even went forward on the opposition. <laughs> so we played, played that. I got very caught up in the issues of uh, the politics of rugby back in the 90s. I just, just didn't enjoy it. It was full of public school boys at the time. Um, yeah. And so I went and started bouncing that ball around and suddenly you get a professional contract with the biggest club in the UK and you get signed by one of the biggest clubs and you're doing MTV. You're doing uh, videos for pop groups, slam, dunk the funk, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then you, you meet stars, and, and it was amazing. I even had blonde hair. So um, Now we need to go find a picture of that. Um, yeah, well, we won't take too much of it. And that was not because I saw Dennis Rodman. It's because I saw David James and Stan Collymore back in those oh. It was, it, yeah, but I looked like a pint of Guinness because the weather was bright. <laughs> but any ethnicity, of black, black ethnicity, would have their hair dyed. I was just mixed race. Of well, the original guy player. was, um, was it Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man, wasn't it? Oh, and trust me, I had that. Hair, I had that. <laughs> yeah. And then people used to sing, the only way is up. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and my interest, intro song was, the only way is up. As I ran out onto the court and threw a couple of hundred people. And then I was called Yaz. What was that about? <laughs> but no, so the basketball was huge. I love the game. I mean, you play only three or four thousand people, but there's um, a great story that the fact that we're um, on Sky Sports that night, and I'm not playing. So I, later, earlier on in that day, I decided to get a run out for Worcester Rugby Club again. Mm. Just, you know, you're not surprised. And I got my knees dirty, didn't I? So I'm sat in shorts behind the bench, and someone just went, "You've been playing rugby today?" I went, "No, I haven't." Yes, you have. Why are your knees dirty? And I just went. Got to wash my knees, and uh, it sort of was, became detrimental to the game of basketball that I was sneaking off and having a game of rugby because I couldn't miss it. Yeah. And then the yeah. league came in uh, is regional and travelled north, but I was always rooted in Worcester at the time, so it was always Danny a man of all seasons, and I just played anything really. <coughs> with with your time at Worcester, um, we've got actually we've got Marcel Garvey coming on on Sunday. Um, did yeah. you play with Marcel at your time there at all? No, he joined when all that cash started arriving. <laughs> but um, Marcel, 
I played against when I was with Doncaster and we went and played Gloucester at King's Own. And I'm on the wing opposite him. And I was like, okay, this is not going to end up. He'd been playing for England he, or whatever and he was rapid. So I just had to, but the, the side of the pitch I was marking him on was yeah. the legendary shed side. Oh, the shed heads. Oh, so I, I, I introduced Dom to that the other week. Start so in January, was... took him to the shed and he wasn't impressed. Oh, it's like the bloody I, shed I, podcast when they were on there. I remember tackling him. I mean, this is nothing big, nothing special. Tackling him and looking up and getting abuse. And it, not, <laughs> that was just not for the ref. It was... There was abuse there going on and it was just like, right, I've learned my lesson now. I'll go to the other wing. And I went to the other wing. And I was up against James Bailey. <laughs> and I just thought, if I, don't, if I catch him, I can't let him get away. So I ended up learning WWF moves with these youngsters. But no, Marcel, bit of wheels there, bit of wheels. They both had wheels back in those days. Yeah, yeah. With, with um, sorry, you mentioned the shed. I, I, you might have guessed from my accent. I'm a Gloucester fan. Um, with the shed, I, I've, I've asked this with a couple of guests recently, previously. Oh, my God. Honestly, you know different what's going on about the shed? Yeah, but do you not right. think of Hot Fuzz when you listen to people from the shed? Yeah, definitely. Hot Fuzz. <laughs> yeah. Simon Pegg was literally five miles. He, was bought, like, he lived five miles down the road from me. So, uh, so there, there's a quick one. If you're a Gloucestershire boy, yeah. right, what's the link between Hot Fuzz and still on the world. Uh, it was it was filmed in still on the world. Oh, oh it was, no, 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 it was based on still on the world. Was it? Because still on the world wanted they that Simon Pegg wanted them to film it there with the the mini train tracks and yeah. all that sort of stuff, the model village, yeah. and he wanted it to film. And still on the world councillors would not allow them to have it. Yeah. They opted for the Gypsy Festival instead right. and had all the roof lead and copper knit that week. <laughs> so it was... <laughs> so if you think of Stone the Wall, that's why they went and found another town and, yeah. and small suburb to look like uh, Hot Fuzz. Sorry, oh. carry on. No, no, it's, right. it's just a question. Was the shed the place that you hated playing in front of as an away player the most? Or is there another stadium that you think, bloody hell, oh, we played playing against them today? From from an, an under 19s, 21s view, we used to play Gloucester because Worcester and Gloucester, even though Gloucester were in the Premiership back in the 90s, mm. Worcester would be full of the boys, yeah. and you just hated playing at Gloucester because it would just go off. And I wasn't a fighter, and I get criticised so much for being that person. But right. I said, you know what? If it went off, I'm the one they're going to throw off the pitch. I wouldn't <laughs> be able to get away with it. Um, <laughs> so, and I and I don't fight, but. You just didn't like being on that side of the field. Mm. You know, if you caught the ball on from the 22 and you ran to the right mm -hmm. and you're facing towards the, the, the original club building, yeah. you just didn't want to slice it. You didn't. It was that 16th man. There was no referee issue and you just get abused. And it wasn't nasty abuse. It would be heckling. Yeah, and then you know, the there's, nothing, was, there's nothing worse than a stand of fans that don't know the rules of rugby and just... Dom, you've got something knowledgeable Gloucester fans. Yeah, but it was like something like Jeremy Carl's green room. That's what the shed fans were like. I mean, you could count, I, could count, I could count 22 teeth, and that was in the hole of the shed. Oh, wow. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. I've had, I've I'll had give you a that. few experiences. That was enough. But then so, when, so when ladies I and gentlemen of Gloucester, um, when I go to Gloucester, if you need, if you need Danny uh, Lingari's uh, address, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know that guess who's the lead ambassador for Barefoot at the moment? Who's that? Ollie Thorley. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but he, got, he he's he's amazing. But um, you've got he, a few um, top names following now, haven't you? You've got yeah. Well, it's not following. It's they're all helping as an ambassadors and they're part of it all, haven't you? Yeah, um, we've had some good ones and some not so near. But Barefoot's about second chances and opportunities. Yeah. And um, Stefan had a problem last year, but he'd done amazing work. Stefan Armitage was mm. awesome. Yeah. Um, and I can't, I mean, he, fly, he flew to Kenya off his own back, um, got to see giraffes and elephants, went into Kamiti Maximum Security Prison. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. 
terrorists, murderers. Yeah. I was coaching rugby and took them boots for, for me, paid for everything for himself and then went off there. That's the difference. The difference of Barefoot's charity and everybody <clears throat> else's is that they don't, they, they don't, we, they don't get paid. They yeah. do, we find, Ollie Thorley's been amazing. Signed jerseys, raises money, yeah. does a video. Um, he's just been perfect. Yeah, that's, that's good. So, so get behind you like that. It could be really, you know, give you a kick at the, at the backside showing you do, you know, doing the right thing. And if everyone else is, is working as hard as you, then it's it's going to fly. I mean, like you said, it's been going two years already. So, you know, it's... five thousand pairs of boots we've raised. Right. Travelled over a hundred thousand miles. Uh, four sports, three countries, two continents, one opportunity. Nice. You've been practicing that, haven't you? <laughs> I can Obviously, see it on a so, shirt somewhere. <laughs> so following, um, obviously, follow on from rugby, uh, well, sport in general with yourself uh, and everything that you've been doing for the Barefoot in the last couple of years. Obviously, you've had something a little bit different happening to you recently. Uh, obviously, your documentary, is it Finding My Father? Finding My Father, which is about me finding my, my real dad, who's also yeah. already got your colleague's name already. Now I've just texted <laughs> So obviously, Illusoni was a uh, former SAS major. See, the senior, the, the first Fijian yeah. in the SAS. Wow. wow. Was, obviously, we're a big mental health charity. And oh, we, so we're not the charity, but we, we do, we're an advocate of marshalling men's minds down in Gloucester. Um, yeah. Now, obviously, mental health is a big thing, and I can see there must have been some turmoil through that documentary with you. Uh, there must have been some very mixed emotions going on. Obviously, how I've got goosebumps now. Even you, yeah, just bring how, them. how did you kind of combat? <clears throat> how did you get through that to get through the documentary and obviously get to the end game, which was meeting your father? How? What sort of things were you doing inside to kind of keep yourself level-headed and another goal sort of thing? It's. I mean, it, if, if we go to into the Fijian culture. And, and you know that as players, uh, as rugby, that it's the cultural aspect and the tribal and the war aspect is in there. Mm -hmm. So I've played many a time against the Gians and, and been in the British Army a few times, Jay knows all that sort of stuff. But you've got the ones who love you and you've got the ones who want to take a pop, a little pop at you mm. because of who you are. And when I arrived in Fiji, I arrived to TV cameras um, I arrived to welcoming families to seven days in after seeing my dad to have it all turned on against me for jealousy. Uh, family deciding to have DNA tests, family demanding that we do that because there's islands, there's an airport, there's land, everything's involved. It was like coming to America, but reversed. Um, yeah. And as a rugby player as well, I was doing stuff on TV with Samurai Bai and Fiji Rugby Union, the president of Fiji, the prime minister, meeting them and talking about what I'd achieved with Barefoot, to just having that in the back of my head of my mind, sorry, that who my father was. Yeah. And I mean, the last year we filmed towards most of it and then we did some more this year. I mean, to find out your dad was the first Fijian to join the SAS. Yeah, it's amazing. To pass selection. Um, to run up, Penny Fang, which everybody talks about, the band dance. To be one of the leading DSs uh, in the SAS, to work alongside the embassy siege as a senior officer, but he was on the front line. So I had all these things when I went to Fiji and it was very overcoming. And Jay, it's all like you have to wind your neck in. Mm. As, and, and politics kept me out of Fiji rugby in 2002. And it was only because of my dad, because there was military coups and everything like that. Dad had bodyguarded Princess Di. He trained all the counter-terrorist teams in, wow. against, in Ireland. Okay. Trained the Germans, uh, the, the Israelis, the Kenyans, the South African special forces and the police, the Americans. But all that was on my shoulders when I arrived there. This year, when we did the final bits, it was just emotion. I didn't stop crying. I just didn't. And, and you just realise that your responsibilities as a senior person in a village that looks up to you. Um, mm -hmm. My nephew is one of the best rugby 
fifteens players in World Rugby, Fiji and Norman and Lingieri, who who cost Jonah his test place. The last time we saw Jonah play for All Blacks, he was played played against Norman. Although they won, Norman did him three times, which stood showed Jonah his his fault, sadly enough. Mm. But um you're you're expected and to be person and I just <clears throat> wanted um acceptance. You know, it's, it was like trials for a, a, a team. You could be the best person on the field, but you have to be accepted by the coaches and yeah. the people around you to, to, to get on in the side. Yeah. How did it feel like, A, first of all, finding, finding out your father, and then, and then B, finding out, obviously, he's this obviously fantastic man who had accomplished masses and masses over, over his lifetime. You know, how did that, how does that feel? You know, how does that sit with you? It's... I don't know. I do. Did you feel proud? I do. And, and it's like on today, the days of the VE day and stuff. You have to think back exactly. of who, 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 what they did for the British forces. I mean, there were 212 Fijians. I mean, the series we're filming, it's between Netflix and Amazon at the moment, wants involvement. Um, and it will be based on all seven of those Fijians that joined the SAS. Yeah. Um, and Dad was the first. <clears throat> and each episode will be based on them. So we, the way that I've looked at celebrating and, and understanding it is actually filming it. But I've re written and researched everything. There's even going to be a bit of rugby in the series as well. A bit of love, you know. <laughs> they, imagine, them, imagine, imagine a bunch of Islanders with alcohol. You've all witnessed that. <laughs> Imagine yeah. that in the sixties, in brown suits, flared collars. I can never see had it. a suit before. Um, a bit I mean, like Dolomite is my name, but with rugby thrown in as well. And it's, it's it, it, I mean, I found I heard one story about my dad, which really interests me. They play, they were playing rugby somewhere, and you're talking the seventies, right? And dad was playing, and what we saw, we, what we found out was they all looking, they're all in kit. And dad stands there in his military trousers with tucked in his socks and his training shoes. And they're just like, what's Lingiri doing? What's Lingiri doing? And at the end of the, talk, the game, everyone else's knees are ripped to pieces. My dad stood there just going, winking. You know what I mean? Just winking. Because he played in his combat trousers. He didn't yeah. care. He knew about it. He was there. And so you've got to think back of, okay, what influences my English father who adopted me? Amazing businessman. Amazing opportunity and then you got my Fijian dad I mean when I walked into the defense club with the prime minister and the president there I mean this is the governing government having a beer like in a working men's club yeah. and they both went he's definitely Lingiri look at the way he walks but I'm three inches taller than my dad yeah. so you, you've got all this expectation on your shoulders but yeah. as Jay knows from coaching and playing that it's Sometimes you just you've actually just got to hold back a bit and and, and view and everybody else. With with these um, roles that you're writing, obviously, and, and the documentary you're doing about your, your father's career and, and, and meeting, did you ever did you ever consider going on the SES Who Dares Wins program to do a bit of research? Oh, that behind? would be mental. Behind the right. line, um, well, I met Ant oh, okay. two years ago, and he was like, "Yes, brother." So I went, "I met a Sonny Lingiri's son." You went. Oh, all right, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Can, so, you can, imagine it, can you imagine Ant putting a bag on Danny's head, knowing who his dad was? And you, no, 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 no. Yeah. I know your family. Jay, a sack. It'll be a sack. Yeah, it's a sack. So, yeah, yeah it's the woven no, sack. No, no, no. A proper sack. Because exactly. my head's so big. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't imagine it happen, being sat down in a room just going, I fucking know you. <laughs> yeah, but the, the issue that I've got oh, is that I get pulled up on stuff, and I'm not an expert in the SES, but the research I've done and what I've heard about from a dad and the guys who did the embassy siege, the mirror bats, the, mm. the IRA stuff, all that, they don't shout at people like you see on the TV show. No. <laughs> if you follow what else people are saying, they're like, shouldn't ever shout at somebody, shouldn't do this, shouldn't do that. And that's what's going on. Mm. Um, and so I watch it, and, I, and, I, and one story I heard was the guy was on selection and he was getting to the final uh, RV point. And it's snowing and it's freezing on top of Penny Fan. And he's thinking, right, I don't need shouting out. As he turned there, this guy turned around, pulled his mask down. I went, 
keep going, son. And it was my father. He said, out of all of them, to have him say, go on, you're there, you're there, was yeah. the most motivational point to get there. And that guy was in the embassy siege. That guy was involved in other stuff. Um, Falklands. It's, it's amazing to find out. And that's probably totally opposite to me because Jay, Jay see me coach and play. I'm, I'm like the biggest joker on the rugby field. We could be losing, but I would still make a mock of three or four players <laughs> for, for a big guy throwing one-handed passes. But my dad would never be like that. My dad would do the job and do the job yeah. as, as efficiently as he could. Yeah. And, I'll, um, and with yourself, obviously, how, how long did you know who your father was and what he was? was it so, um, as a kid? <laughs> 1988. Were you even born then? No, I was a year off. Uh, I was. I was four. I was. <laughs> I was born in 96. They don't, have any, they don't have any birth certificates in Gloucester. They don't. It's, it's written on the back of a pig. It's written on the back of a pig and stamped by the mayor, who is also the village idiot. <laughs> and runs the post office. That's and right. He runs the post office. You got him. Any luck with catching them killers then? So, that's what you yeah. <laughs> so no, so we looked at these things. So 1988, I found some documents, documentation saying who my dad was and where he's from and how old he was, excuse me. So uh, we were looking for some documentation on who my dad was. And I found a piece of paper hidden in some drawers when you're not supposed to be going through your parents' drawers. And it was hidden underneath. And what we did was we looked and it said, son of an SAS person. And it was like, this is why my English parents had sent me to watch uh, army shows. You know, when they do like the tattoos and tank shows and old World War II machine, all that sort of stuff. I didn't know. I'd even been to army cadets and led the embassy, uh, led my embassy did the, the orienteering <clears throat> courses mm. and I was leading teams. So I didn't know all this, but it sort of made sense. And it didn't say what nationality I was. Fast forward six, six, seven years, I'm on a speakerphone and I don't know if, cause you're not old enough. They used to have cardboard passports, which for one year you'd have, but you could yes, go to the post box and get your post. Yeah. Cardboard you know, passport. Yeah. So we got for being from Germany. Is that <laughs> no, what no, 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 no. Because it used to be around the times where, because even though I was a child, I used to be able to go on. <clears throat> and, and you'd have a cardboard passport, wouldn't you? With, so yeah. we had to check on my, I wanted to check on, because it was for basketball, my uh, ethnicity and everything like that. So we're on speakerphone and I contact my biological mum. So I'm, I'm in, I'm in a, an office in Worcester doing sports development, sport as usual. Um, and I'm on there and she says, so, so, so hi, she says, hi. I said, I've got to apply for my, my 10 year passport. And I said, I need to know my dad's biological background. And she went, you're Fijian. And you could have seen everybody in the office going, that's why he runs around with the ball in one hand. That's why, <laughs> that's why he doesn't listen to anybody. He's one of those guys that long socks and, and, it, and it made sense. And, and that's how we found out. And then 2000, I played rugby for Quinns. And we were doing the Middlesex Sevens. And I knew I was Fijian, so suddenly all these soldiers kept coming up to me going, we know who you are, we know you. Because you know they all go and watch the Middlesex Sevens. This is when yeah, it was yeah. huge. I'm talking 30,000 people, car parks mm. full, samurai with, the samurai with the worst team. <laughs> then mm -hmm. you had Josh Lucy playing, Castagnier, all that lot playing. And I'm sat there and these guys going, good try, good try. And I'm just like, I didn't understand that. And then this little guy comes up to me, sleeves rolled up, socks rolled up, tight tape on, big, huge grin, and said, good try, brother. And I was like, right, Sarevi. I'd never met him before. Sarevi. <laughs> wow. Then you meet Satala. Then you meet Taniela Galga, some of the greatest. Then Eric Rush. And then you realise you're chatting to the Penguins team that used to destroy everybody. Earth. And then we come out of the stadium at Quinns and it had gone like wildfire around Middlesex Sevens because you used to ask why so many British Army soldiers used to be the stewards at the Middlesex Sevens because they're all Fijians because they were like that. Stop watching the game. <laughs> they all get yeah. the shoulder. And, and, and that's how it sort of... Uh, that came to fruition over the Fijian side and who my dad was. Yeah. 
Did you obviously when when you found out who it was? Obviously, I come from a big uh, army background. My both my parents, my grandfather, uncles, a lot. So obviously, with me, there was a lot of expectation of, especially from a mental health point of view, which is the circle it of grin and bear it, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, up stiff off a bullet on all that bullshit that came with being in uh, an army brat, so to speak. Is that the kind of mentality that um, you you see out of obviously? In the setup, so I know Fijian culture is a big difference. Yeah, but you remember, I came. I was I was brought up as a British. Yeah, boy. I mean, when you went out there, obviously, you said, no. It's it's, it's it something that I'm I'm not great with. It's that humble thing because when you live your life doing sport, charities, TV, and social media, you're not humble, are you? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it, it's totally the opposite with my father. But it's. It's, it's quite emotional to deal with it all with my dad yeah. and, and understand. I mean, when we went out this year with my son, we took my son out on a secret mission. Who My son's amazing at rugby, just doesn't want to play. Met the wrong coaches, quit. He has, he, he's got feet like William Ryder and he just doesn't want to play. He's 23 years old. Does he want to play not, for the Dodgers? Yeah, get not, him. No, no. He, he, the reason why, he, I'm waiting to be a granddad. But that's, oh, wow. he's a, it's about to drop any time even now. Oh, um, well, okay. He 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 is amazing, talented young kid. Um, he's having a, about to have his first child, the same sort of age I was when I had him. But I was playing professional sports, so I had security. But we took him out to Fiji, <clears throat> and we told nobody. I didn't even tell anybody we were going. Mm. And when we got there, and we we arrived in Dad's village, and we walked into the village, we got a bit of film bits of it. My dad didn't even know we were coming. And you've got to see, there's this legend of this SAS hero sat on the stairs watching just the country. And he looks and he sees this tall blonde kid and he just think, I think he just thought it was a visitor to the village. And I popped my head round and he didn't think he was ever going to see me again after the first meeting. And I went, Buller, and he was like, <gasps> and his eyes lit up. This is a guy who's 82. Mm. He got off the floor quicker quicker than any 20 year old honestly got up and I said this is Risha Granson so you saw this this 82 year old stand up beautiful smile cuddling kissing my face smelling me grabbing my my little brother my English brother smelling his face kissing him and then looking at Reese, but looking up <laughs> and guy breaks down in tears there's a difference there's a difference in emotions Take some um, sort of person not to, though, wouldn't it? In that situation, I mean, he didn't know. He did not know we were there. Yeah, we yeah. didn't. The year before, TV interviews, radio, press, everything about me being there. Mm. It was a bit. Un, un, he didn't like it. Didn't. It's been unnerving for him. Mm. So we did all that, um, and then my son dropped the other bomb on him. You're going to be a great granddad. You're going to have another a great grandson, an official wow. bloodline. Wow. So Amazing. it was. It was just amazing. And, and that was the perfect tribute to getting the Finding My Father thing just put together, ready before we do every, all the other filming. Yeah. Um, but when he shook your hand, Jay, his hands are bigger than mine. Wow. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you want to mess with then? Even no. <laughs> yeah, but even, 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 even fact, my... Even, even the fact even, Danny's got hands like shovels. Big, biggest, <laughs> probably biggest handoff and the biggest ones around. Yeah, but um, what I'm saying is that he shook my hand and I was like, oh my God. And he's still firm grip and bigger. <laughs> he shook my son's hand. My son's got massive hands as well. And, but my little brother shook his hand and went, oh my God, how many, how, how many people has he killed with them? <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, we all stood back and went, ooh. But he, he wanted to come for a walk through the, the... So you when you see Moana, have you ever seen Moana? Have you yes. watched it? You yeah, know when they walk through the village it. and everybody's got a job? Mm. That's what they yeah. talk about. Yeah, yeah. This was like <clears> my dad. People are there carving. People are there doing trees oh. and vegetables. Mm. He wanted to come with us. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're 82. <laughs> Sit down. And, 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 and that was it. But he's still active. Still works with the kids playing rugby. Still helps raise children there. Uh, helps the village. We've got the largest village in Fiji's. One of those islands. 87 houses, airstrip, <laughs> everything. But no, it's, it's, it's something when you look at 
because he 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 always put his family in his job first, and rugby came third or fourth, basically. Yeah, yeah. Danny, you obviously you've um, you played a lot of sport, uh, but I want to just switch over to your acting career uh, briefly. Yeah. Obviously, we've all seen you in um, uh, Taboo. I'm um, sure you did a lot of other things as well. How did you originally get into it? Was it something you always wanted to do? Or? Yeah, it's a, he got no. lucky. So he, he can, he can, hey, 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 what's your name, Danny? I'm asking the man lucky. himself. Not I know he got lucky. No, no, no. <laughs> Jay knows. I'm coaching rugby, as usual, at Richmond's Old Deer Park. Mm-hmm. And this dog runs across the middle of my rugby session. And these, this is Richmond I'm in charge of. My kids are undefeated. I mean, Callum Circus, people like that have gone on to play England Seven. Uh, all the kids from the private schools and state schools got a bit. Of, and they're all stood looking at me like, and I'm like, what's wrong? And they're like, it's Tom Hardy. I went, what, the England back rower? And typical kid, <laughs> stop being a dick. That's Tom Croft. And I was like, no idea. But this dog... <laughs> This dog was licking my face and I'm pet- petting the dog. And I turned around and the boys are like, it's Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy turned around and said, dogs are no good people. And they did actually do, do you know what I mean? They warmed people. And then we, it was two days, or three days before Rugby Rocks. Uh, so it was, that, it was getting to be warm that weekend. It was a couple of days after Bournemouth, which murdered me. Well, there's everyone that is. I was say, yeah. It's, yeah, so I've got a lot, Jane has loads of stories about Bournemouth. But um, no, it's, and, and that's what happened then, 2016, having a tough time, separation again, and because of sport, and I thought somebody's pulling my leg. So I kept putting the phone down, just like you see in the films. Yeah, whatever. Next, somebody else phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're texting into Instagram. And then you find out they're for real. It's Ridley Scott Studios. Bloody hell. Wow. And then you're like, but if, what you got to understand is fate. Earlier that day, I'd had a, a, a huge row with a close family friend about mm. I should be living on the past of this, 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 to then going to London mm. and seeing my own dressing room wow. with my name on. And I've got a runner outside who brought me wine gums and Red Bull already. <laughs> that, was in my, that was in my trailer every week. In your Every rider. Day. Was it just yeah. blue M&M's? Blue. No, M&M's. I didn't go for that stuff because I've too much sugar. Ah, yeah. Wine, wine gums and jelly babies smashed it out. Um, and then that happened. And uh, some of the greatest things, I've met Tom Holland, who was in uh, The Night Manager. Uh, the small guy, not Tom Hollander. Tom Holland. Uh, he's in quite a few films. Little naughty man. He was amazing. Yes, no, that's Tom Holland. Uh, yeah. No, Tom Holland. Holland. Tom Holland. There's two of them, isn't there? There's the young yeah. kid, oh, okay. and then there's the older guy. Right. Right. Come on, Neil. So I've got Jonathan Price, Tom Hardy, Stephen Graham. Uh, I'm like, I've just stood around. And then the, the best moment is, Jay knows I love my tunes as well. So I've got some music playing on in my trailer <laughs> on set. Mm. And a pill. And I, I'm like, what's going on? And they send this big young kid who's on set, sat talking to me and he came and chilled out and chatted to me and I gave him some wine gums and stuff like that. And, and then knock at the door, he comes on the, on the bus, on my, on, my tra- on my trailer, right? Come sits down, he goes, oh, this is my dad. And he comes in, Andy Circus, <laughs> Gollum. I'm like, I, okay. I have no idea what's going on here. Um, and people were saying, so how long have you been in this acting business? amazing tattoos amazing hair and they found out that i designed all that stuff um and they were just like great how long you been in and i'm like two weeks and your main cast oh my word and it was there was like people there had been studying being actors 20 30 years and i'm on main cast credited and it was an amazing experience i mean we had lines we scrapped them because i turned around and said well hang on there's you've just colonized fiji tonga samoa Nobody's going to have an accent. You're not going to speak like a Kiwi or a Maori, am I? Yeah, so I just said, yeah. to, to make it easier, I just said I'll be a Polynesian Wookiee and just say nothing. <laughs> um, and, and that was it. And it, it just went on from there. We finished filming. Uh, six months, even coincided with Bournemouth. It was awesome. Um, and Manila Thames and Hong Kong. What else did it coincide? So you can imagine me milking it when I got to those events. Obviously. <laughs> 
You might as well. So no, and and it, and it was that, and then we had offers of loads of other films from then. Mm, amazing. Well, as I say, I, I did drama and theatre studies at school. Uh, always, up, Neil. Always, always do my uh, headshots. Not going to happen now. No, yeah, but remember who my dad is. That's the only headshot you're going to get. Yeah, oh. <laughs> well, the thing is, well. I'm, I'm in Erreford as well, so it's not far away from, from where I used to train. So, where are you? So are you gonna, you're not going out tonight to the pub, are you? Not to the pub, no. <laughs> can't go, right, we've got can't town on the buzz because the buzz ain't running. <laughs> There's no trains to Worcester now either. No, I know. <laughs> so, no, um, the, the TV stuff's been amazing. So, experience. So, we had inundated with links for sport coaching and national team's jobs mm-hmm. to equalize a two to play a nasty bad man in that i think they start to stereotype me um <laughs> game, game of thrones nice. game, game of thrones yeah. and it was not this is casted position as a main actor um probably gonna, clearly gonna be a dothraki wasn't i nothing else um uh, the kursk i'd already signed for two movies in america but didn't turn diva, but it was just like they were taking too long to agreements and they give me all the credits on IMDb. But I mean, it was amazing. And then <clears throat> biggest of all was 2018, where I, I don't know if I mentioned that you get a phone call to say, can you be in London tomorrow? They like you and they're like, what for? They want you to be in Bond 25 as the new henchman. Wow. So I had to go to London. Yeah. And he said, there's a twist to this as well. I said, what? You've also got, and you've been shortlisted for this, to play The Rock's brother in Hobbs and Shaw. No. So I made sure I was hench, massive, masseuse. Um, did to London, hench, moved on Hench is cars. such an underrated word, isn't it? What? Hench. 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 It's a bloody brilliant word, that. <laughs> no, but I was called Mr. Hench. Podcast, mate. Called Mr. Hench at school. <laughs> I was called Mr. Hench at school by my kids. They, they'd come to the PE office and say, sir. And all the other PE teachers would look around. And they went, nah, Hench, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so no, so the, the Hobbs and Shaw, and I lost out to Roman Reigns. Yeah. Um, and Bond, as you know, Danny Ball stepped down. So they changed the scripts and storylines and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's been amazing. So we just focused on the documentaries since then and the two films that were, were in the middle of writing of for the TV series. Brilliant. I just want to get back to um, a bit of a situation I've been posting to a lot of our guests recently. Um, as a result, these guys call me uh, Scenario Neil. It's not a name I uh, like or... It's better than Tatum O'Neill. Well, there's, it's better than what, sorry? Tatum O'Neill. Well, that's female. Yeah. Um, true. Right, well, I've got a bit of a scenario. So it's a lockdown and rugby-based question. Right, so yeah. you're, you're on lockdown in two weeks. Uh, for two weeks, sorry in oh, right with someone and it has to be someone you either played with or played against in your career yeah. right now out of everyone you played with or against who <clears> would make <throat> it an absolute living hell who could you not survive two weeks with and why have you have you ever met islanders if you i think another polynesian the same size as me yeah, I, I think that'd be a living hell. It must be. <laughs> I mean, my brother has to shop in Gloucester to get food for me because everything, <laughs> nobody will have food. I mean, he comes back. But no, um, a living hell. Um, not many players scare me, but uh, some stories of people like Epi Tyone used to play for yeah. Quinns, um, Tonga, the guy who dyed his hair green for the World Cup. Remember when they all dyed their hair green in 2007? I think you were all 10 then playing mini rugby, weren't you? No, no, I was, I was drinking age. I, I and you had hair. Still only drink, yeah, I had hair. I could still only drink two pints then, though. But. So the, Tonga had a, a, a player called Epi Tyrone, a player Tyrone, who's a very good mate of mine since <coughs> early 2000s, and he dyes his hair. He's the sort of guy, if he drinks, he punches you. You know that person? <laughs> you know everyone's got that person? Yeah. Epi's probably bigger than me. Um, and he played eight on the wing for the Tower Sharks, uh, played Newcastle Falcons for many years, mm. um, played in France. He's, I mean, the joke is they always say, if there was a Holocaust and there was a nuclear whatever, Epi's skull 
would still be the only thing that survives because it's massive. <laughs> and a cockroach running over the top of it. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. the cockroach would be that small. But but no, Epi would be the one that I would probably be too scared to live with because he's bigger than me. He drinks. I mean, he's, yeah. he's had a few problems lately, but going back on memories, he'd be the worst probably to live with. No, fair enough. Good awesome. Well, and I'll take him inside him. He is dangerous. <laughs> well, Danny, it's been well, yeah. privilege having you on. Uh, nearly ten, it'll be nearly ten years coming up soon. Well, that we met. Yeah, it's been a long while. <coughs> yeah, but you were always Mr. Reliable. You were no, but he was always again not blow his trumpet. Reliable, thought he was Polynesian, but <laughs> um, but, but but no, gents. I threw some great good, passes. Good, good player, always around me. You always wore the wrong size shorts, didn't you? Yes. They just you don't make sure. Nice legs. I have got nice legs, and there's no God. reason why I shouldn't show them. No, so can I ask you three guys? So we're talking about Kit quickly. What are your thoughts on Umbro? I, oh, I was I'm not as outraged as everyone else, to be honest. I'm not that outraged. If it's a nice kit and it's good quality, like. Surprising. I think. Um, I don't, I don't like the association with football, but at this current state, you can't be turning money down like that as a union. True. The the True. Well, the year, do you know that Umbro was owned by Nike in 2012? They sold it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they did like the 90s, 70s Lions kit and stuff like that. So they've got a bit of heritage, but... Yeah, I mean, I'd heard, I'd heard about it for a few months and I, I sort of yeah, didn't Yeah, so last year it, it was announced then, last year that they could be going yeah, yeah, to Umbro. Yeah, you know, yeah. The deal was on the table. If we don't get the autumn internationals this year, it could be financially scuppered for the RFU. So you've got to take whatever you can get five million a year, mm. take it. So, at, at so current, I at this current stage. So I mean, so I'm reversing <coughs> this, this this podcast now. Oh, I can tell, gentlemen. I mean, who, who Bill, Beaumont, Bill Beaumont, Augustus Pichot, which oh. this the, is going to separate the like, men from the boys. Now, right, these two. I've got a lot of inside information, so you need to get it right. I know, I know very little about rugby. I know a lot about rugby <laughs> all my life. But in terms of like players, you know, who should do, do, do. I've always liked Bill Beaumont. He's, he's doing a very thankless task. <clears throat> but you do need some youth in there to stay true to, you know, rugby nowadays. It's, it's, if you just stay with the old heads, then you're never going to evolve the sport. With me, I think, um, with me, yeah. Bill, what Bill Bowman's plans are, uh, and especially for the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, you've been researching, have you? Oh, I've been, of course. I, oh, I always, I, I'm always in the know with the rugby stuff. I always keep up to date. The stuff he's looking at with the Southern Hemisphere and rename for the likes of renaming Tier One and Tier Two nations to emerging, and I can't remember the other ones, but actually renaming it so it doesn't look like One and Two and Best and Little. Or yeah. Adding Japan into into the in the top tier nation, <clears throat> and putting them in there, Fiji into the top tier nations. He's he's got so many plans to kind of instead of having it segregated, which obviously I had the chance of training with a tier two nation at the time. Yeah, so was with you when I was with Germany, and the difference, the stark differences. Yes, the way they trained, <clears throat> they had their camp. I was there for camp for a week, and the way they trained was because uh, I've actually still got the message you telling me. Yes, because uh, I was playing with one of your J9 guys. Uh, or oh, I was training with one of your J9 guys. Yeah, Luke. Which I don't think these guys know, which was the time I got a chance to uh, train with Stade Francais. So I'll, I will... Uh... <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> but no. You've got to pin that. You've got to pin that. You've got to pin that on exactly. your face. Pin it. <laughs> exactly. So seeing, um, seeing what he had to offer and where they were... Um, <clears throat> got down a tier because the funding into those emerging nations wasn't there and it needs to be I think Bill Bowman and the way he's doing things is going to start boosting up these uh, these second if you massively if you I mean what you don't know is that I I didn't know about the the, the voting but I was already with all the Fijian block saying well they're going to go with Bill Bowman they're going to go because you've got to think of, between you three guys, you've got to think of how many Fijians play in France. Yeah, well, that's... that's okay, amazing. and the biggest thing I've written about at the moment is, you go to New Zealand or Australia that have been cherry-picking the Polynesian countries for years, mm -hmm. yeah? When they run out of money, they return home. They don't have any money left, 
right? But when they go back from France, the currency's stronger, yeah? Mm -hmm. The kids are returning with a third language, mm -hmm. yeah? Some of these Polynesians, most majority of Fijians, are staying in France and living here in Europe. So they give their kids better opportunities in life. So you've got to look at the money invested in the Fijians and the, the new Schengen visa rules. That was why they voted for Bill Beaumont. Yeah, and there's another thing that he's going to do. Uh, I think, that obviously, I was reading it today, was about these um, islanders who are playing for other nations, like the, the Tuolagis, the Fulis, <clears throat> yeah, etc. When they're coming to the end of their careers and their death career, giving them the opportunity to go play for... Tom yeah, which has been, for years, Jerry Collins... Uh, wanted to champion it and I agreed and Bill that if you don't that, yeah. pick, if you don't play for your tier one nation after two three years you can, you go. can go back to your home nation correct so who's the well, German one who should have gone back to play for Germany what from England yeah Toby Flood there you are so he was already there was already yeah there was there was things because I think Mike Ford wanted because if, if you think of all the, the players that go to New Zealand and then they don't get picked well, we, yeah, spoke, we, we, had, uh, we had Tim Nano-Williams on last night and, again, heavy New Zealand links and then played New Zealand age grade and then when he went on to the international team, went to Samoa. Yeah. It's, and, and it's, league, it's, it's, it's the only way to give an equal level, or level playing field. I mean, look, I was with Tonga Rugby League, wasn't I, for the World Cup? Um, they all left New Zealand. In Australia to play for Tonga. Yeah. And look what a powerhouse they are mm -hmm. in league. But um, I mean, what I was, I was saying is that I, yeah. it, it was all, it's not about a money thing for these countries, it was all about the opportunities of r representing their own countries again, yeah. as well as a big... I mean, <coughs> Samoa, Fiji, Samoa and Tonga need Fiji in the... Because yeah. Fiji's brand... I mean, if you talk sevens, you talk Fiji, don't you? You talk oh, Olympic yeah. rugby, you talk Fiji. You, you can't, and every kid can play the same as what you see on the telly. So when this voting thing came around, we were watching, not just for seeing what the vote was, but for barefoot as well, because we do a lot of grassroots stuff and to see the opportunities com combined with what this, this new opportunity is coming around, we could be do so much more for kids in France and in England. So no, that's why I asked you three, what are your thoughts? Because- I, Yeah, I mean, I was- I was, all, I was all in favour of a bit of a change in the guard, really. Is it change um, or correction? That's, that's, there's a difference. Well, that's the thing, you know. I think, I think rugby has had a bit of a habit from grassroots level, and especially from where I sit in the UK, from grassroots level, of being run by the old boys in blazers type thing. Mm -hmm. I said that once and they suspended me. <laughs> you know, correct, you know, correct well, me if I'm wrong, but I think... Um, <laughs> I think rugby as a product, especially in the UK, you know, we, the, amount of, the amount of money some players are getting paid isn't warranted by the actual the value of the product. So you've got like some of the Saris boys, the Toje on 750, 150k. You know, no one's making that money back in, in the Premiership to warrant one player's salary. Um, so very yeah, right, I mean, very right. You know, I was all for a bit of change of the guard, but... Again, uh, you know, I don't think Bill I mean, Bowman's you've got to you've got to look at I mean, Augusta Pichot would playing in in Richmond. He's got a lot of friends in Bristol. Yeah, there's no addition. I I always always agree with things, but then you had to look on the on the present and the future prospects of what the Polynesian countries get, which is what swung the vote. New Zealand and South Africa got no votes from the Fijians. They swung it all yeah, the way to the other side. And you know, you read into all these reports of you know short term promises from for New Zealand and Japan and stuff. And, you know, Japan, don't get me wrong, Japan had a great World Cup. But, yeah, but you take, out, you take out all the Islanders, then... What? Realistic, yeah, realistically, yeah, but realistically, at this moment in time, are they a tier one nation? Well, I'll give you, think, all for you, all three of you to think something now. Japan, Fiji, <clears throat> new organisation of the Six Nations to be like the championship in 2021. There's something to think about, isn't there? Because yeah. you know South Africa will already apply, don't they? They're going to they're on about shifting the tiers around mm -hmm. for Six Nations to be similar to what the championship is, because there's and no financial gain. Yeah, then you'd have to kind of tie in 
the both domestic seasons together. Yeah, know? so that that that's to tie in the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere with the which domestic. is what yeah. a lot of people have wanted anyway. So they yeah, could... it's tough. that's it's, it's going to be a tough ask. Yeah, who, I know. Who, who, but, who changes? Did the, but the game is in, change or do we change? The game is in reset. You yeah. know yourself. We're in a reset mode at the moment. But all I'm saying is that's what was. It'd be tough for us. It'd be tougher for us to change because obviously in, in oh, I don't the, think we'll change. I think we'll change. Yeah, I know, but for oh, us yeah, for sure. scheduling, we've got the rugby league and the rugby union where league kicks in at the towards the end of the rugby union season and people go and watch the league season or play sevens. Hmm. And it's it's got it's I think it's going to be tough for all the hemisphere to change. It's, okay, yeah, it's, uh, like, but no, like like I say, then I think. Um, it's it's a great topic to bring up, and I'd like to maybe get get you on a live. And you. I, I'd be very you know I'd be interested to hear what other people from the online world have to think. We'll invite a few journalists on. Yeah, we're going we'll to do yeah, a live. And we'll Facebook have a, we'll have, we'll have a bit of debate on a live feed. I think I think it'll be a, a, a healthy conversation. To hear different I mean, aspects. It's it's been it's been great to hear your views as well because it's been I've been writing about it all this week, and. <laughs> because it affects Fiji massively. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to see what the Fijians have wanted, and you're talking a one o'clock in the morning phone call or nine o'clock to listen to them. And it was all based around the voting. And they weren't going, we need Bill Beaumont. We need something that's going to create a level playing field. And Bill yeah. Beaumont's initial plans with France and the Northern Hemisphere sides was, I mean, you just, I know you've got to go, but you work out England have played Fiji less times than Ireland, Wales and Scotland and France. Mm. So their investment is in those countries. They go to Scotland, it's sold out. They go to <clears> France, <throat> it's sold out. Yeah. yeah. You go to Ireland, it's sold out. Wales, they might as well have been living there. Yeah. The Welsh and the Fijians love each other. Mm. So yeah. it's, it's a big thing. Um, it's, it's effects barefoot. Um, and <coughs> then you try to make your own non-political comments. And it can be taken yeah. out of context, but and, well, this, yeah, it's not only that. It, 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 at the end of the day, the way the way the sport is going, it all falls down to money. Yeah, uh, you know why? You know the autumn internationals. I believe are picked. Three out of four of them are picked on financials. Well, uh, we were we were there for the Fiji England game, two thousand and sixteen. It may have been, <clears> and it was the first thing that came to light about how much they were getting paid. Well, yeah, it was the, it was campaign, like the and, and, it was like the 80-20 split or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and Campesi Mafu snapped his forearm. Yeah, yeah. And I saw him quickly come out the back, and I went, "That's a big damage to you because for just three hundred and fifty quid, because that's all they were getting paid for to play exactly. against England." Yeah. And the politics comes into it, <clears> but it left him out of his job, his his club that he was playing mm-hmm. for. So no, it's 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 something to think about. I mean, yeah, it's, it's it affects it affects the charity, it affects individuals in the game, yeah. and it affects all of us who love it. Yeah, and it's definitely something uh, we'll 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 likely get you back on, and we'll we'll go off. Oh, we you need yeah, I'm to uh, call it a day on that one because uh, yeah, sorry, but, I mean it's we've got our regular beers on a Friday night, which the boys are chomping at the bit with. Oh, yeah. trust me, no I've just had this amazing steak. Have we discussed? And I but um, no, there's, there's, I think you do an amazing job. I loved it. I, will, I loved the, the abuse you gave Alex because <laughs> when, when you watch him, he just looks like he's looking at uh, Haskell like a, just a naughty child. Just like, that's what he does, I think. <laughs> it should be called James Tangent Haskell because he just goes off from... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I enjoy it. It's, it's good. And, and you, well done to you guys for uh, putting this together because, I mean, I've got some ideas for barefoot to use you three for barefoot to do commentary and one pair of shoes makes a difference to a child exactly. so get you guys doing some stuff and mental health i'm always prepared to help yeah perfect well uh, yeah like i said danny thank you very much for coming on fantastic stories <laughs> your positivity your positivity is infectious it's i'm very, going down to gloucester now to have have a chat with my boy there. Going to a pub. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you can't. You can't ever go to or up to Gloucester. It's you go in downtown or going down Gloucester. Uh, well, I'm going to Cheltenham, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Cheltenham's right. got a completely different language. Yeah, Where are you exactly. going? Where is he? <laughs> but, I mean, uh, one... it's been an absolute Bravo. pleasure, mate. Sorry, oh, yeah, as I'm always. Sorry, James. Great to speak to you. And all right. Cheers, Danny. Always a pleasure. And Thank we'll, you very uh, much, we'll Danny. Catch up with you soon, and, uh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs>